Well, hello and welcome to the Life Church Canton podcast. My name is Jared Van Vorst and I'm your host for the show. I'm one of the pastors at Life Church and I'm excited to be with you as we continue in our series called Sticking to the Gospel. And this is week three of a series that we're in and I got the privilege of being able to give the message. I would encourage you actually, if you have a Bible nearby, if you own a Bible, uh, or if you have one on your phone, to uh, to get prepared. I go through the book of Luke chapter 4 and read through a story in there. And I think it's actually really important to follow along um, as you hear this, if you are able to. If you're in your car, then keep your eyes on the road. That's, that's much more important. Uh, but I hope you've been enjoying this series. I uh, hope you enjoy the podcast. Go ahead and subscribe if you haven't done so already and share this content with somebody uh, where it might be meaningful to them. And then also, I want you to prayerfully consider contributing to the work of Life Church. We get to do podcasts, we get to do blogs, we get to bless people who are in need of, uh, of things if they're going through a tough time. Uh, we just get to minister to people, and it's such a privilege to be able to be a part of that. And so your giving makes that possible. So uh, you can give by going to lifechurchcanton.org slash give. And I want to thank you for your contribution. So without further ado, here is the sermon from me, uh, Sticking to the Gospel for Good Works. Hope you enjoy. Well, hello, everybody, and good to be with you. If you're watching live on Facebook, thanks for joining us in this moment. And do me a favor, let us know you're new. We want to get you connected. That's super important to us. And uh, so you can do that by clicking or just saying I'm new in the comments, or you can click on the connect uh, link so you can connect with us, whether it's your first time or your second time. We're just glad you're with us. If you're listening on the podcast right now, uh, we just hope you're uh, just blessed by what God is doing in your life and and, uh, learn something from this message as well. We have been in a series called Sticking to the Gospel, and if you've seen the, the graphic, it's this gum that's sort of stuck, and we talked about that the first week, that Nathan sees this as sort of a negative thing. We don't want to step in gum, but when it comes to the gospel, it's something we want to stick to. We want it to get into all of the crevices of the bottom of our shoes, and we don't want it ever to leave because the gospel has power. We want to stick to it. We're going to get into that in just a moment. Um, My name is Jared, by the way. I don't think I've introduced myself yet. I'm Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I had an interesting time during pandemic, and obviously it's still going. Uh, Many of you have gone through a variety of different things, different challenges. We had a situation for our daughter where she ended up in the hospital. She was in the hospital for two weeks, and and I've got to get the name exactly right. I wrote it down because I knew I was going to forget it, but she ended up having pediatric multi-system inflammatory syndrome, which is a little bit of a mouthful, I understand, but she was there for two weeks along with my wife, and so I was in charge of the other two kids that we have trying to do some form of homeschool, I guess, uh, but then also trying to work and do stuff for Life Church. And so we were trying to just improvise the best we could. And so I, I wasn't great 
at keeping up with the worksheets that they had to do for their school, and so we came up with a different idea, and so we played Monopoly, because I thought, you know, Monopoly teaches, I guess, math, maybe, and economics, social studies. Um, Let's just say it it doesn't exactly teach any of the gospel elements. It's more so uh, sort of focused in on greed, probably, because the whole point of winning the game is making sure that everybody else becomes poor and is bankrupt, essentially, and you own up all the properties. That's the that's how Monopoly works. So uh, we played Monopoly, and I tried to be fair with my little kids and not try to overly dominate the game. But there was always this moment where you'd get on a community chest card or a, a chance card, and there was one that you definitely looked forward to, and it looked a little something like this. It was the get out of jail free card. This was, this was the sought-after card. This was the one that I wanted. This is the one that everybody wants, right? Because it's this sort of, okay, I'm good to go. No matter what happens in the game, if I land on this one corner, I want to show you a picture of it. If you come around this corner where there's this police officer and he's got a whistle, uh, which I don't even know if police officers use whistles anymore. Maybe you can let me know that in the comments. But you get around this spot on the board and you're a little bit nervous, but if you've got this card, get out of jail free, you're good to go. And I found oftentimes when I would play this game, both just a couple months ago, but also as a kid, if I had this card, I was just zeroed in on this idea that I'm good to go, I'm safe. And so if I got close to that corner where it says go to jail, go directly to jail, I just kind of sat back and just waited. I actually kind of stopped playing the game in a sense. I didn't really pay attention to this, really the goal of the game that you're you know, supposed to buy up the properties and maybe invest in those properties, make investments by putting in houses or hotels. I didn't do any of that because I was just thinking in the back of my mind, I've got this card, I'm not going to jail, I'm good to go. Why do I bring that up? See, when we're talking about sticking to the gospel, we have to understand what the gospel actually is. What does it mean? What what are its implications? See, I think many of us, and I've grown up in church all my life, so I've, I've been around this, many people, I think, believe the gospel is like a get out of jail free card, or more specifically, a get out of hell free card. The gospel is just, it's just my ticket to heaven. It's sort of like fire insurance, right? It's, it's my ticket that is punched to heaven. I'm good to go. I'm saved from my sin. Now I get to go to heaven. I'm good to go. I can just sit back and relax. And to use the monopoly metaphor, I don't really need to pay attention to making any investments here and now. It's just about getting this card so that I can get to heaven when I die. What about you? What's your definition of the gospel? Is your gospel only concerned about the afterlife? I want you to wrestle with that question and then maybe put some comments in the comment section for me. I think this will be interesting to start talking about. Is your gospel only about the afterlife? Is it just sort of a a get-out-of-hell-free card so that one day when you die, you'll go to heaven and then everything's kind of good? 
And if that's the case, if you fall into that category, if I fall into that category where I think my definition of the the gospel is just getting out of hell and getting into heaven, then it's very possible that I might just live the rest of my life by sitting back and waiting, just really waiting to die. Or it's possible that I might just make sure that as I live my life, I don't commit too many sins, or at least not the big sins as I live my life. Or maybe, maybe it means that, you know, I'm, I'm going to get to go to heaven, so if I'm going to go to heaven and meet God face to face, face to face, maybe I should take some time to, to connect with God from time to time. I might go to church once a month, once every two months, maybe read my Bible from time to time, memorize just a couple verses, and and I'm still good to go because, you know what, I've still got this card, and that's really all that matters because that's what the gospel means. Or maybe, maybe for some of us, maybe we get a little bit more bold and we decide, you know what, I think along the way I might even share the gospel with somebody else. I might share the news about this idea that I can get out of hell and I can go to heaven. And so we appeal to people, if that's our understanding of the gospel, we appeal to their fear of hell and fear of sin and the disgusting nature of sin and want to draw them out of that and instead turn them on to heaven as a result. That's if our understanding of the gospel is that it's just about being aware of my sin, repenting of it, Jesus will forgive me, and now I get to go to heaven when I die. And that's all very much part of the gospel. But again, if that's my only view of the gospel, what does that mean for now? What does that mean for right now? If it's only about the afterlife, if it's only about this card, just I've got my ticket punched. See, we've talked about this the last two weeks. We have talked about this idea that, yes, there is sin and brokenness and fracture in our lives, and as a result of that, man, there's not a good future in store for us, but we went to the good news. We went from the bad news to the good news, and that is that Jesus gave us eternal life. He did die on the cross. He did forgive us of our sin, and He did rise again so that you and I can experience new life. Absolutely. That's, that's the gospel. It absolutely is. And some of you might even be thinking, yeah, so why are we into week three of sticking to the gospel? We basically heard everything that we needed to hear in sticking to the gospel. Shouldn't we just be moving on to the next series? No, there's more. There's more. That is absolutely essential to the gospel in that we are saved from hell, saved from sin, so that we get to experience heaven someday. Yes, absolutely. But there's more. And there was more for the ancient people as well, the people that actually got to interact with Jesus 2,000 years ago in, in Israel. I think it's important that we understand some of the nuances of gospel. This word gospel simply means good news. The Greek word is euangelion, which is where we get evangelism. The euangelion, the good news to the ancient people, to Jesus, was bigger than just dying and going to heaven someday. See, actually... When you read through much of the Old Testament and even into the New Testament in certain parts, for Jewish people, the afterlife really isn't all that talked about, all that much. They're actually much more concerned with eternal life. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, what's the difference? There's a massive difference, actually. See, they believed that afterlife is something that takes place after, right? It's really not all that hard to think about after I die, 
then I experience a sense of life. And yes, absolutely, that was a belief, but they believed so much more in eternal life. The difference is afterlife takes place after. Eternal life stretches into the here and now. It's not just future implications, but it stretches back into today. Eternal life starts today. They believe that eternal life had very real here and now tangible implications. See, because when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says this phrase that if you've grown up in church, you maybe have heard it before, repent for the kingdom of the afterlife is here or is, is after. Is no, no, that would have been weird. It, he didn't say any of that. That would have been weird to his audience if he would have just appealed to the afterlife. No, he said, repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's here and now. It's, it's today. Eternity starts today. And this is what they were concerned about. This is what they were hoping for. And I think it's important even to talk about that phrase, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent doesn't necessarily mean saying, I'm sorry for what I did or for the wrong behavior that I committed. That's not necessarily what repentance is all about. It simply just means to turn. Turn from your old understanding of what you think this looks like and into a new understanding of what it actually is. Repent, be turned on to a new reality of what the kingdom of heaven is all about that is here and now. And then he begins to talk about the kingdom of heaven. It has very real life, here and now, implications. The gospel isn't just about the afterlife. It isn't just a get-out-of-hell-free card. There's more. I want to show you what Jesus talks about in one of his first sermons in his very own hometown, the town of Nazareth. If you have a Bible with you right now, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 16. It says this, When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the Scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. There's that word again, good news, euangelion, which we translate gospel. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Meaning, Jesus is here to fulfill this promise that Isaiah had written 400 or so years before. Jesus has opened up the scriptures And the first thing, the most important thing that he talks about with his Jewish audience in first century Israel, in Nazareth, is that God is here among you. It's me. And I'm not only here, but I'm anointed to do something very specific, to preach good news to the poor. This is about the poor, the impoverished, the captive, the blind, the oppressed. Those are very real here and now implications. They have tangible implications elements to them. Because these people were poor, they were captive, and many of them were blind and oppressed. 
This absolutely mattered to them. This is their hope for the Messiah, that he would come to take care of them. Absolutely. Notice there's nothing about the afterlife, at least that we can see at face value here. Now, some of you might say, no, no, Jared, you're actually just interpreting wrong. Uh, What it really means and what Jesus really meant to say is those who are spiritually poor and captive and blind and oppressed. It's just a spiritual kind of thing because of the sin in the world. Okay, well, if that's the case, is there any reason it can't be both? That it can't be both a spiritual poverty and a physical poverty? Captivity, oppression, and blindness? Is there any reason that Jesus wouldn't appeal to both? Because play this out with me, if you will. If it's only spiritual, does that mean we allow things like poverty and captivity and oppression to happen? Does it mean that we allow for people who are blind to just kind of, hey, figure it out, but then come in and say, hey, but you know what? At least you get to go to heaven when you die. Is that really what it's about and that's really all we should care about if it's just a spiritual thing? If it's only spiritual, then why does Jesus waste three years of ministry and of his life going around and actually doing some of this physical work, healing blind people and sick people and paralyzed people? Why does he go around casting out demons out of people? Why does he feed a whole bunch of poor people on a hill with bread and fish? Why would he do any of that if this was only just about spiritual needs? Now, to the Jewish people, you don't separate those two. Spiritual and physical are inseparable. They were very much concerned in terms of their understanding of the gospel and what good news meant to them is that the Messiah would come and take care of the here and now as well as the eternal. Okay, this is great. This is good. And they're excited about this. They love this message. In fact, it goes on to say this, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. How can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Like he's just some like regular dude from their hometown, but he's actually the Messiah. At least they think he is. They maybe believe that this is the one that they had put all their hopes on. They are overjoyed that this eternal life is actually reaching into the here and now, that changes are going to be made. But he goes on, verse 23. Then he said, you will undoubtedly quote me this proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning do miracles here in your hometown like, you, like those you did in Capernaum. But I tell you the truth, no prophet is accepted in his own hometown. Certainly there were many needy widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the heavens were closed for three and a half years and a severe famine devastated the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a foreigner, a widow of Zarephath in the land of Sidon. And many in Israel had leprosy in the time of the prophet Elisha, but the only one healed was Naaman the Syrian. This seems like a confusing pattern. Like, why would you keep going? You, you had everybody going. You had everybody excited, listening intently, very, very amazed at your words. You should have just been like, all right, I'm good. That's it for me. You've all been great. 
you got to walk out on a high note, right? But he actually just pokes the bear. <laughs> he keeps going and talks about something a little bit different. It seems like it's disconnected to everything that he said before, but it's actually very connected. See, all of their hopes are for this Messiah to come. And Jesus knows that. And, and he says, you know what? You're actually just hoping for me to do these miracles for you, for Israel. Just take care of our needs, Jesus. But then he goes on to talk about something different, that it's not actually about only Israel. He, he shares two Old Testament stories, just real quickly. He talks about uh, these prophets in Israel, Elijah and Elisha. And he talks about these prophets going to different lands into the area of Sidon, which is Lebanon, which is just north of Israel. And then Elisha goes to, which is modern-day Syria, so just a little bit to the northeast of Israel. Basically, what he's saying is these prophets, these Israelite prophets who were to care for the Israelite nation were actually sent by God to care for foreign people, people of other ethnicities, why would Jesus talk about this? Why would he talk about God's mercy and healing and, and inclusion be extended, being extended through the chosen servants of God to people who are sort of outside of their insulated group? Why would Jesus do this? Must be good news. This must be Jesus' definition of gospel that it's actually not just for Israel, that it's actually not about just the afterlife, but about eternal life for everybody. For even people that don't look like Israelites. Jesus talks about here and now implications, good news for non-Israelites. Guess what happens? Let me read on. When they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. They intended to push him over the cliff, but he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. How was your day today? <laughs> I've never had this happen to me after I preached a sermon where somebody wanted to kill me. Maybe I'm not doing it right, I'm not sure, but this is a big deal. Why would they try to kill him? And, and, and they push him to this edge of, of a hill, of a cliff. I actually got to visit it several years ago. It's called the Mount, of Pre, uh, Mount Precipice. And you stand at the edge, and I mean, we're not talking about, you know, a couple feet drop-off. It's a cliff. I mean, we're talking several hundred feet down, and it's a little scary. It can make your stomach turn if you're afraid of heights. They're pushing him to the edge of this cliff, and they're wanting to push him over, not just to harm him a little bit or get a few cuts and bruises and scrapes along the way. He will die. It's rocky terrain. It's down. I mean, it's a long way. Their intention is to kill Jesus. Why? Jesus is messing with their gospel. They had an idea of what gospel meant, of what good news meant. No, Jesus, you're supposed to come do miracles for us. You're supposed to heal us. You're supposed to save us from our oppressors. And he begins to talk about healing and mercy being extended to foreign people. 
and they want to kill him for it. Now, I want to pause here for just a second because there's been a lot of people who would say that, no, they wanted to kill him because, you know, because he said he was the Son of God, because he said that verse, you know, the Scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. That's really why they wanted to kill him, because he was claiming he was the Son of God, and that's cocky and you don't do that. that that's not what happens. They're, they're actually looking for him to be the Son of God. In other Gospels, it talks about them wanting to make him their king, make him Messiah, put him in place. They're hoping that he's the one that's going to be this anointed Savior that Isaiah talks about. And even after he says, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day, the very next verse says, everyone spoke well of him and was amazed. That's not why they're trying to kill him. They're trying to kill him because Jesus has extended this good news for the poor, for the oppressed, for the captive, for the blind, to everybody. And they don't like that. If your gospel, if my gospel, my understanding of what gospel means, if it doesn't include the here and now, if it's only about the afterlife and just getting out of hell, sitting back and waiting till I die, then I have an incomplete gospel. If my gospel doesn't include those individuals, those groups, those categories who are outside of what I might think should be included, I have an incomplete gospel. I want to ask you a question. Does your gospel include hope and justice for the here and now? See, we're saved from something, yes, to something, absolutely, from hell to heaven, but also for something, for good works, for the good work that God has in store for us in the here and now. Do I have a heart for the poor? Do I seek to live generously, not just, just hoarding stuff for myself? Do I actually care for the disenfranchised economically? Am I aware that there are actually people in captivity, not just spiritually and mentally? Yes, that's part of it, but there's actually human trafficking, captivity in the here and now. What does the church do with that? How does the church respond to that? Do I have a heart for caring for sick people, for people who have health restrictions. When I see COVID numbers and I hear that more and more people are sick, am I initially skeptical and I think, well, that's probably just a political ploy? Do I respond with that? Or do I respond with, oh my goodness, I want to pray. I need to pray. I need to find somebody who's, who's sick and, and I need to figure out how I can care for them. Or when I hear about things like oppression in the here and now. Or I maybe even hear certain people saying, well, black people are oppressed and experiencing injustice. What kinds of feelings rise up within me when I hear those things? Let's just talk about that one for a second. And I understand we've already been talking about it, and some of you have brought that to us and said, ah, we're kind of talking about this a lot. Yeah, we are. 
And I can understand why it might even feel a little bit unsettling. I understand it. If, if, if this is new information, especially new to you hearing it in the church, I, I get it. I, I get that it can feel unsettling. I get that it can feel a little bit nerve-wracking. I understand. But let's, let's just walk through this for just a moment. If my understanding of the gospel is purely concerned with the afterlife, not the full implications of eternal life, but just the afterlife. I got my ticket. I got my get-out-of-hell-free card. I'm going to heaven when I die. If the gospel is only concerned with that and not concerned with the here and now, not concerned with making investments, to use the monopoly term, if that's how I think about the gospel, and then I hear a church, any church, talking about injustice or specifically racial injustice, and I start to feel unsettled. I got to walk that out a little bit. I got to process that. Okay, why, why do I feel unsettled when the church or a pastor talks about racial injustice in the church? Well, I think, well, okay, so at church, church is the place where we talk about the gospel, and my understanding of the gospel is that I'm saved from sin so that I can go to heaven when I die, and Jesus forgives me of that sin. If that's my understanding of the gospel, and that's my understanding of what the church is supposed to do, well, then I might decide that talking about racial injustice, well, man, that doesn't, I I suppose that's a good thing to do, but it doesn't really fit into my categories about what the church should do, and it doesn't really fit into my categories about what I understand the gospel to be. And so if it doesn't fit into those categories, well, then what category does it fit into? Well, I've been watching the news a lot, I've been on Facebook a lot, and it seems that Politicians seem to talk about racial injustice a lot. And so, okay, so racial injustice must be exclusively a political situation and not a gospel situation that I understand the gospel to be. So it must be political. Oh my goodness, my church is becoming political. My church is talking about political things and I don't want anything to do with that. That's why I'm feeling unsettled. I might begin to wonder, man, what is my church even doing? Why are they talking about these things in church? It doesn't seem like they're sticking to the gospel. I want us to realize something. This is essentially what is happening in the passage in Luke that I just read. They have an understanding of what the Messiah is supposed to do. Just do your part, Jesus. Just come be the Messiah and come save us. Come take care of our needs so that we can experience eternal life. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says the gospel is way bigger. Yeah, it's here and now implications, and Israelites cared about that, even though we as modern Westerners might not necessarily think that that's included into the gospel, but the Israelites did. But the thing that they were definitely frustrated by is that this included injustices even for foreign people. Sickness, even for foreign people, for non-Israelites, for people of other ethnicities, that they get to experience eternal life as well. Which means Jesus isn't sticking to their gospel, and so they want to kill him for it. We just did a series on Ephesians for several weeks. We walked through the book of Ephesians. We had it planned a year ago where we we decided we were going to go verse by verse, and we literally did that. We went verse by verse. We just happened to be in that series as other events in our world were unfolding. 
events of racial injustice. And it just happened to line up that the things that we were talking about had a lot to do with the things that we were seeing happening in our world. And we were doing everything that we could to, to remain faithful to the text and to walk through the text faithfully, but for whatever reason, it didn't feel like the gospel. Or at least a certain definition of the gospel. And we were made aware of some concerns. And simultaneously, I, I was reading a book about some of these issues, about issues of injustice and specifically racial injustice, because I want to continue to learn more about that and what is the church's role in all of that. And I came across this paragraph and it read this, in recent years, as instances of racial injustice have received more public attention, ministry leaders have tried to speak truthfully to their predominantly white communities. This has sometimes taken the form of a public confession about racial inequity or a biblical teaching about the priority of reconciliation as evidence of God's righteousness. Most of the time, when leaders such as these take a public stand against racial injustice, they are met with resistance. Their commitment to the gospel might be questioned, or they will be urged to stop confusing politics with their faith. They will be encouraged instead to stick to the so-called essentials of the faith. Stick to the gospel. Life Church, if we believe what Jesus is doing in Luke chapter 4, if we believe that he was anointed by the Spirit of God to preach good news, gospel, euangelion to the poor, that the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, if we believe that this is why he came and this is the work that he participated in, then wouldn't sticking to the gospel include us talking about and participating in these same activities? Not just unjust treatment of black and brown people, but also disproportionate poverty. Isn't this what we're called to? Isn't this all part of the gospel. See, the gospel is not some a la carte menu of items that we just get to pick and choose from whatever suits our tastes. And we even talked about this in Ephesians. We read in chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, God saved you by his grace when you believed. Yes and amen. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Absolutely. We've got that ticket. It's punched. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Yes, that's absolutely the gospel. And then we read verse 10. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good works he planned for us long ago. Yeah, verses 8 and 9 are the gospel, but verse 10 is sort of an extra verse. No, 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 no. This is the full weight of the gospel. We talk through this. This is the gospel. Those good works, those good things are what we see Jesus doing and talking about in Luke 4, what he is anointed to do. 
Here's the thing, if I feel uncomfortable, if I feel unsettled about those things after I know that my salvation is secure and I have prayed to receive Jesus, that doesn't mean that someone is deviating from the gospel when they begin to talk about injustice or poverty. That means that the gospel is actually working. It's seeping into every area of our lives. That's why we use that illustration of the gum. We get the gum in all the crevices of our shoes and it gets into all of the places, even though it might at times feel uncomfortable. It's working out in our lives. It's transforming us. Gospel is not only concerned with eternal security and the life to come. As Daniel said profoundly last week, that salvation is not a one-time event. In fact, we're told by Scripture to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, which means we've received salvation. Now we've got to figure out the implications of what that actually means as we play it out through our lives. We can't, we actually can't just sit back and wait. No, we actually begin to make investments in the kingdom of God. But I love what the author says about this idea of fear and trembling because it is a little bit scary when you're initially confronted with things that don't actually initially feel like the gospel. But it's all the gospel. I want to ask you a question. When is the last time you felt uncomfortable by the full weight of the gospel. We're going to sing a song in a little bit, and it has this lyric, lead me in your love to those around me. That's all part of the gospel. Is it uncomfortable? When was the last time you felt uncomfortable by the full weight of the gospel? Go ahead and put a comment in there if you're watching on Facebook Live. And hopefully by now you realize that when I say the gospel, I don't just mean your eternal security. I mean eternity reaching into the here and now, into today. What good works have you been saved for to participate in now? Here's the thing, Nathan shared a a couple weeks ago about millennials and that millennials have a resistance to sharing the gospel. And they actually believe that you, one shouldn't share the gospel in the hopes to convert them to their belief. And I wonder how many of those millennials think that gospel simply means getting out of hell and going to heaven someday. Yeah, that feels a little bit uncomfortable to talk about at times, I'm sure. But I wonder how many of those millennials don't understand that gospel also includes this idea that we are part of a here and now kind of activity in the kingdom of God. See, because actually, there's other stats about millennials that are super excited about caring for the poor and the brokenhearted. They're absolutely on board with that. You can even see where their finances go to, to helping children who are disenfranchised. What if we instead were able to celebrate that they actually do understand parts of the gospel, but maybe just need to be rounded out with some of the other parts that we talked about in the last two weeks? If you're one of those millennials listening right now, you can go back and listen to those first two weeks, but also it's important that you understand that there is a full weight of the gospel that has here and now implications. What does all this mean for us right now? What does this mean for Life Church? I'm going to give you some 
action steps, and I'll, I'll be a little bit vulnerable here. I don't always like the action steps. I don't like as a preacher trying to figure out what you all should do with this. There's a part of me that would rather just say, you know what, just pray, trust the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to lead you and guide you what you're supposed to do. But then I also realize that sometimes you just need something practical, which is why we try to help and be practical. So I want to give you some very practical steps. But also, in addition, I want you to trust the Holy Spirit. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit to know how to go about doing these things because whatever I might say might be limiting. Maybe God has something even more beyond what I'm going to say today. That's why it's important that you listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Here's your first action step. I want you to this week memorize Luke chapter 4 verses 18 to 19. Memorize those verses. Begin to allow those verses to seep into your mind and into your heart that this is what Christ was anointed to do. And if we are followers of Jesus, we imitate him. We copy him. We do the same kinds of things. Number two, I want you to do one act of kindness for a stranger. I'm not going to use the word foreigner because I don't think that's necessarily appropriate. There's probably plenty of people that you don't know, strangers. Do one act of kindness for a stranger. I'll let you fill in the gaps for what you think that might be. It could be a variety of different things. I'll just give you an idea. It's a story, and I'm not the hero of the story. It's actually my friend. His name is Luke, also not the gospel writer, but Luke, my friend, several years ago, we were doing youth ministry together. And after an evening of hanging out with the youth ministry, we went to Applebee's and we got some appetizers. And then as we were leaving, we were heading out the door. And the in-between part of the two different doors where you come in, there's a little bench there. And there was a woman there sitting just completely downtrodden, distressed in some way. We didn't understand, but we just kind of moved on past and walked on past her. And then within seconds, my friend Luke is just like, I should probably go talk to her. (laughs) <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that's the joy of the Lord reaching into his heart and, you know, turning him on to this idea of caring for somebody, but that's kind of how it went. It sometimes happens these ways where you just feel like, ah, I should probably do this. But then something beautiful and incredible began to unfold. We had no idea who this person was. Never met her before. We were kind of judging in an instant that she felt down, that she needed something. And my friend Luke doesn't normally do these kinds of things, but he's a follower of Jesus. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And so these moments just kind of creep up out of nowhere. So he went back and he said, hey, this might sound totally weird. You don't know me. I'm a complete stranger, but I just couldn't help but notice you seem really, really down. You seem really, I don't know if this sounds right, but you seem lonely. And for whatever it's worth, I just want to tell you, I believe that God loves you and sees you. And she just began to weep. And she stood up and she just gave him a huge hug. And so he said, you know what, I don't know, like I said, if this is strange or if you even believe in God, I don't know. But would you be okay if I just prayed for you? And so we prayed for her and we went on our way. Let me ask you, is that Is that sharing the gospel? Absolutely it is. Absolutely it's living into the full weight of the gospel. See, sometimes I think we think 
doing an act of kindness for a stranger or sharing the gospel means we have to tell them about this card that they can know Jesus and get to heaven someday. Yes, that's absolutely a part of that. And if you do have those conversations, great job. Keep going. But don't think that an act of kindness and doing something random for a stranger as you're filled by the Holy Spirit and acting out the character and the will of Jesus. Don't think that you're not sharing the gospel. It might have impact beyond anything that you will ever see. Last action step. I want us to continue to learn. Continue to learn. You can always learn something more. I want you to go to our justice page on our website. It's a little bit newer. We put it up there and we want us to continue to grow in our understanding of what justice actually means within the church. Certainly racial injustice, but there are other injustices in our world that we can begin to participate in and bringing the kingdom of God into the here and now. Go click on that link, search around, click on some of the other links, just continue to learn be educated, and ask questions. Questions are allowed. But let's continue to grow in our whole understanding of the gospel. If you're watching live right now or listening on the podcast, maybe you aren't aware that there's a life that has eternal implications, that how you live in the here and now actually matters, that saying yes to Jesus today matters in the life to come, but also for today. I want to invite you to join us on that journey. To be aware that, yes, there's sin and brokenness, not just in my life, in your life, but the whole world. There's only one who can save us. That's that word Messiah. He'll save us from our sin. That's the bad news. It's not bad news that he saves us, but it's bad news that we're broken and that we can't get ourselves out of it. The good news is that he saves us from that to something more eternal. To heaven, yes, but also for something incredible in the here and now. If you'd like to say yes to Jesus today, I want to invite you to pray along with me. God, thank you for an opportunity to understand more about who you are. And God, I'm listening right now and I realize there is brokenness that I can't fix on my own. I need a Savior. And so Jesus, I call on you now to save me from my sin so that now I can begin a life of eternity in the here and now. You have good works planned for me. I ask that your Holy Spirit would prepare me for those good works, to participate in what you're doing in our world, both now and in the age to come. 